To the listeners of 2100, God damn do I feel smart hosting this podcast in the year 2020. My podcast was previously delayed because of technical issues I couldn't resolve because of the coronavirus pandemic shutting everything down. This more recent gap of weeks has come because in the last five or six months, the world has gone to hell, forcing the media landscape to accept me as a journalist. Upon the death of George Floyd, protests broke out all over Philly, so I decided to cover these protests for free. A week or so into protest coverage, a media outlet called Status Coup calls me, and next thing you know, I'm streaming live from protests and making reports on homeless encampments. Shit got real. This entire episode was produced and recorded in a Bushwick, Brooklyn apartment owned by people I've met once. Life has gotten strange in 2020. This episode is a distraction from the present, a comparison of experiences and a conversation about youth. Escapism at its finest. We're going to reminisce about youth with some very, very different guests. My name is Jason Peters. Welcome to 2100. Two, two, First off, um, could you introduce yourself? Yes. Um, say your name. Say stuff you'd you'd want someone to know about you uh, before hearing you talk. Yeah. Um, my name is Chumi Gonzalez. Chumi is a nickname. Uh, I didn't. So I'm already interested because <laughs> I was going to compliment Chumi being like my one of yeah. my favorite names. Yes. Get, what can you? What is it a nickname for? Yeah. So my real name is Gloria. <laughs> Oh my God! I did not see that coming, but it makes sense. In what way does it make sense? How do you relate Gloria to Chumi? Uh, well, I know, I know that like I could imagine like an older uh, like Hispanic woman, yes. Named Gloria. Yes, yes. So, but I couldn't being young, yes, being yes. a young a young Gloria <laughs> is very no, no. I love it. I love it. It adds so much character. I did not know Chumi was a uh, code for Gloria, but that's yeah. a hot way to start it. Yeah, it has actually no relation at all. Um, <laughs> Just people call yeah, you Chumi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my, Where did you get the nickname? My mom's name is Gloria. So that's why I was named Gloria. Yeah, makes and sense. then when I was born, my dad 
held me and then he just goes chumili 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 just starts calling me that and from there it just stuck forever my dad never called me by my real name. Well, his wife's name, Gloria. Why yeah. would you want to call your... <laughs> he your... never called her by her name either. Like, he has the, his own Just, nickname. He's a nickname yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's Classic. a nickname guy, yeah. And then my mom has never called me by my real and name. And where were you born? I was born in Hoboken, New Jersey. Hoboken, New Jersey. Yeah. Got you. Yeah. All right. So, I want... The reason we're on here, and I'm glad that you started at birth... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I need to give a little bit of backstory. No, that's perfect. You know, I you was born. You started <laughs> number one. You started at birth, which is perfect because this the whole episode topic yeah. is uh, it's all about youth. Mm. It's going to be filled with stories of youth. So I'm going to share a couple stories. I don't know what stories I'm going to share yet. Yeah, me neither. Um, but we're going to be talking about stories from youth, uh, the general idea of youth, what it is to be young, uh, the general idea of that. And um, before we started, we you, we talked about uh, who the other guests are. Would you like to know who the other guests are? I would love that. All right. So the the final guest for this episode is uh, Steve Schmeler, who's the inventor of the foam finger, mm -hmm. and he's going to talk about a time in which the police chased him through a train car. Okay. Isn't that for, some old timey for shit? For inventing it? No, no it has oh, nothing okay. to do with oh, the okay. foam finger. <laughs> okay. These are two separate, okay. uh, two separate things, two yeah. separate occasions. Okay. Okay. He was at the time the inventor of the foam finger, but he was he invented it in high school. So and he was in college when this happened. Yeah, I wonder what that need was. Like, where, what made him say, you know, what this is what we need here. He, he, it's how he expressed himself, and okay. the world is different because of it. And then the guest uh, who, whose audio will be coming up right now is um, a man who I met in 2016 in London at an open mic. I was the only comedian at the open mic, and it was all musicians. And uh, I'm happy to have him on this show because he he's just getting on the charts in the UK. And I'm going to read you a, a bit of an article from the Daily Star about him. He's enjoying a breakthrough 2020 so far. Romel's fifth single, Mind Blown, featuring Sweet Billy Boy, knocked both Drake and Tiny Tempa off of the Music Week official UK Black Music Club charts following a 10-week journey. This man knocked Drake off the oh, charts. Okay. Uh, so this is uh, Romel Coco talking about growing up in a Nigerian boarding school. Okay. Growing up in the UK was, was different. I don't know what growing up in America or any other place is like, yeah. But I grew up between the UK and Nigeria. It was quite different. It was different because I was born in Nigeria, moved to England, and I was growing up then. To, I got used to the UK as well. And But my parents didn't really like it at some point because they felt like I was losing the culture and everything. So I got sent to Nigeria for a while as well. I spent a few years back in Nigeria. But growing up in the UK was different because it's more like... During my time, I don't. It's different now, though. But during my time, it was it was more about uh, not really respect, but growing up in an area like Tottenham, where that's where the whole riot started from, it was quite rough in it. But it was nothing compared to growing up in Nigeria because here, as much as it was quite rough, people had a limit. They had their limit, like they had what they were scared of in it. So um, people don't really push that far. 
even though a lot of crazy things do happen, but you have the police, you feel safe with the police and all that and everything. Not completely safe, but at least you know people are a bit worried about the police, so they don't do that much. So, um, yeah, but I wasn't really focused on that kind of life because I was more focused on the creative side of things. I used to play football. I used to play football, I used to play my games and I just like music as well and that's, I think that was the same period I met my cousin Slick who produces for me so it was different. I was more like, and I was into computers and everything so I was more like a nerd, not really a nerd but a geek. I was, geek, I was a geeky music person and into games as well but I had my tough side as well because I don't really get that people don't really mess with me that much because I don't really give them the chance. I wasn't really that scared, I wasn't scared of a lot of things in it. But yeah, that's what growing up was like, but to be fair, I did grow up more, more, most of my, the best times that really changed me and shaped me was growing up in Nigeria because, like I said, when my parents moved me back to Nigeria for a while to get used to the culture, growing up was different because they actually taught me part of the thing in growing, growing up in Nigeria is they teach you respect. So I had to learn respect. Respect is more important than every other thing, than any other thing to Nigerians. And another thing they taught me was, in school they actually, you get bullied for six years. That's not six years, you get bullied for five years in secondary school. With secondary schools like high school in America, but you get bullied for like, you get bullied for five years to prepare you for the world in it. So everyone gets bullied and I, I went boarding school where when you come in in the first year, when you're like 11, in this in countries like this, that's where people, they, they, everyone's like more careful about the way you're treated. But when you get into boarding school, in, when you're like 11, your first year in school, that's when everyone bully you. You have to respect the whole of the school from the year, from the year that's ahead of you till the end of the second year, you have to respect everyone. You, had to, you just had to, that's the only way you survive. You have to respect them, you get bullied, you just had to learn to survive, innit? So, in a way, when I kept moving, when when I went through all that and I went private schools as well, which private schools in Nigeria is quite different, it's quite strict, isn't it? So when I came back to the UK, it was more like it was easy for me to like get through life. Nothing really gets to me because it's not nothing here is compared to to what I went through there. Because sometimes you have to sleep in class just to get away from to get away from um, being bullied or. And when I say bullying, I don't mean people talking to you. Like, hear people talk about, oh, you get bullied mentally. Like, like when they bully you and talking, saying stuff to you, they, they will actually beat you up if you try to be tough. And you get, you get beaten, you get your things taken away from you. So you just have to make a way to survive it. And this was boarding school. You had no, your parents were not really there to save you in it. So you have to survive yourself. Imagine being 11 in a, in a school with like, all the students and you have to learn to survive in a boarding school you can't really go to the teachers as well because you can see them if you report to the teachers that's it but when you go back to your hostel it's, it's a different ball game trust me because i remember i remember one time because it was different for me because i came from london as well i remember so everyone's everyone was just on my case in it <laughs> so everyone everyone was on my case and um, <laughs> i remember one time because I knew they wanted to, they, they didn't like the fact that I was getting special treatment because I was from London. So I remember I had to sleep in class once <laughs> because they actually, they had a, they, there was a plan to come to my room at um, three or two in the morning to just beat me up. So <laughs> I slept in, I slept in class 
and my younger brother because then when you're when you're young like that you have like older students you, you sometimes parents had handed kids to old older students to protect them and everything not now everyone thinks every, everything's about pedophilia yeah you just have an older student who mentors you you stay around and you learn some stuff he protects you sometimes it's a bad one there's some bad ones as well but that's the life is just risking it and growing up it's just the risk in it so growing up in nigeria just there wasn't a lot of like pedophile situations like like right here in the western world so that prepared me for life so yeah that's what growing up was like and here is a bit from romel's song tonight oh, I, 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 I. you want me you got me it's nothing i'm waiting all right It's nothing I'm waiting for I think I'm in love I think I'm in love And I want it tonight Tonight, yeah I think I'm in love I think I'm in love And I want it tonight Tonight, yeah, yeah I think I'm in talked about just the unique experience of growing up in Africa and going to school in London and living in both places. You have an experience similar, but not the same of, I don't know how, I don't know a ton. So I know you, I call us friends, but I don't know a ton about your backstory. So talk to me about what it is uh, living, living uh, kind of, I don't know if you're a dual citizen, but that dual lifestyle. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a dual citizen just because, well, I, was born in the U.S. Yes. here in Jersey, and I lived here till I was about five or six years old. And my family's Paraguayan, both of them. This is explain to the white people where Paraguay is. <laughs> Paraguay. So <laughs> this if is you, a podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, whites... you, if you've ever heard of South America, yes, they have. Yeah. <laughs> we watch the World Cup once every four years, and we, we do, learn actually. about Uruguay yeah, and Paraguay. So, so okay, you're Uruguay's. familiar with South America. Yes. So think literally right in the middle of South America. There's uh, a country that's called Paraguay. Yes. It's a landlocked country where we're, um, we don't have any uh, contact with the ocean. People so are learning. A lot of, yeah, we have a lot so of So there's river. one fun fact for the day. Yeah. Paraguay is a landlocked yes, country. Yes, super large meat exporter. Good, yeah. good. No one, has wi- exporter? no one has Wikipedia open. These are things she knows. We're a bilingual country. Wait, so you moved there? Uh, yes, yes. Um, well, I didn't move there. I was moved. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. <laughs> I was living my life as, uh, as a kid here in the U.S., and then one day I just woke up and I was just somewhere completely different well, as a kid. Uh, that's the kind of perspective you have as a yes, child, is that yeah. it just kind of shifts. There yeah. was no, no warning? Yeah. No, actually, no, I had no concept of... Moving from Do you remember anything from, from the first Here, five here's, years? Here's my idea of countries when I was that age. I uh, remember that uh, my dad would always make me speak to my aunt through the phone, and then he would tell me, I was like, why Like, why can't I see her in person? Why do I need to use this yeah. device to look to talk to her? 
And then he's like, oh, he's not he, she's not here. She's in a different country. And that's kind of that's that kind way of, far that, away. In, in the 2100 perspective, that, yeah. that's kind of useful because everyone, if you're listening 2020 or even 2100, you're thinking, oh, just FaceTime. Yes. Yeah, and- exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I didn't understand how a person could just like be in another country at like four or five years old. Yeah, so well, yeah. I I didn't have I that would, yet either. I would leave my house. I would just go into the front, uh, like on the sidewalk, and I would scream to the top of my lungs, like, Diana! <laughs> like thinking that she could hear me from the U.S. to Paraguay. Like, I just uh, didn't understand. Well, that's wholesome child <laughs> stuff. Do you remember anything else about America from like that one to five period? I honestly not all that much. I remember Halloween. Uh, which is just my favorite day ever to this day. Did, um, did you lose Halloween when you went to Paraguay? Yeah, they don't really celebrate it. It's kind of satanic over there, at least growing up. It's very, it's very, very religious country. So, so growing up, all my aunts were like, no, like we can't celebrate that. It's the devil's thing. That's kind of nice. Yeah. You lost, not nice, <laughs> but it's kind of interesting. You lost Halloween on the move. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so are most of your childhood foundational memories in Paraguay? Yes, yes. All right, well, talk Identity, to me. My identity has formed in Paraguay. There's very little that I still recall from the U.S. Understood. So how long were you in Paraguay this time? Uh, I was there until that age. Like, I would say from five-ish to 17 when I graduated. Oh, so those are all the years. Those are all the... Those were... And that's a tough year to leave. So you came to America at 17. Yep. Yep. All right, so let's not hit hit any of that yet. Let's talk about... um, Growing up in in Paraguay, because that's a that's a hell. Those are those are like heavy times to move. Those are heavy. So in comparison, Both, yeah. to compare your yeah. life to mine, I did. Um, I, I I lived in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, the whole time. The whole time I was always in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Bucks. Uh, one, yeah, Bucks. It's outside of uh of Philadelphia. It's yeah. it's a connecting suburb. Yeah. Uh, but I lived in when I was five. I made a move. From the bottom of my development to the top of my development, wow, that is, we went from a row home yeah. to like a bigger house. Wow! And yeah, that's that, a big shift. And we moved approximately 0.3 miles. Yeah. Wow. And I remember crying and You're freaking like, out. Why are you doing at this five, to me, At mom? five years old, I said things like that. Wow. So you yeah. you didn't have a shift. I had, I had, I had no a territorial. Time. I had no time to to like complain no i was sobbing I, uncontrollably throwing yeah. fits i remember visiting the house i grew up in like the the house we moved to and being like this isn't home at like yeah. five yeah 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 yeah, yeah. no and then, i had to- then i uh, know and then I, I mine was super regular but i don't remember anything from one to five really right yeah me neither i remember That's- like losing teeth and also, yeah, I might I have some formative memories because my mom worked at the pre-K type yeah, place I went to. I remember to. I choked on a candy one time and almost died. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I have... Um, when I was like four, that happened to me. That That's my first memory, actually. At four? Yes. I, I can't remember anything before. How can you? I don't have much before four or five either. Yeah. What's your first memory? My first... No, well, that's... I remember... I remember I used to eat frozen peas. <laughs> like the only things I used were to Were they eat, crunchy? They were hard as a rock. <laughs> they were frozen peas. Um, I remember I used to eat frozen peas and that was about it. That's as specific as I could get to as the youngest I go. I remember my, my, my brother and sister used to bite themselves. Okay. And then because I couldn't talk. 
They used to bite themselves, then say I bit them so that my mouth would get washed out with soap. Wow. And they, then they'd have a laugh wow. at my expense, yes. Wow. That was some young shit. Can't. Because I could, if I couldn't talk, that's pretty young. Wow, and then when you started talking, you just went with no, it. I didn't have I didn't have the <laughs> mental capacity to know I got oh, framed until no. years later. They're like, this is a thing we used to do. And I was like, oh, no. You did used to do that. Oh, no. Yeah, that's, no. That's fucked up. Yeah, that's that's fucked up. I, I'm, a, I'm an only child, so I don't have any sibling traumas. Well, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm trying to think of any good stories. I think um, something formative for me um, is I'm, I was a camp kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you growing up in Paraguay, you might not have the camp culture mm-hmm. as hard as Americans have camp culture. Yeah, not really. There's a there's a big camp culture, uh, and Jewish children go to Jewish sleepaway camp. It's extremely prominent. And then uh, on top of the Jewish sleepaway camp, because I was always very jealous of my Jewish friends, because I grew up in a predominantly Jewish neighborhood, they go to Jewish sleepaway camp, which for the summer would leave me and my Christian friends alone. So we'd have the Christian crew in the summer, and then the Jews would come home, and we'd all hang out, and we'd have a great time. So I finally convinced my parents to let me go to sleepaway camp to see what all the fuss was about, because I heard how fun it was. And I went to Sixers camp, and I think going to Sixers camp as like a... 12 or 13 year old was one of the most prominent like shifting moments in my life because I was horrified I was horrified to go to a sleepaway camp because I'd never done it before mm-hmm. it's not only did we not we couldn't bring cell phones there were, like you weren't allowed to bring a cell phone you had to get a calling card and use a pay phone to call your parents if you wanted to weren't allowed to call your parents on the first day mm-hmm. uh, because they're like we're not doing this bullshit I guess and it was Sixers camp so it was pretty uh, well put together all basketball so I was doing basketball but the reason it was so formative because it was very very international uh, the way it broke down was it was like 33% white kids 33% black kids, mm-hmm. and then 33% uh, international, and of the 33% international, it was like 85% Portuguese. Okay. So many Portuguese people. It's the most Portuguese people I've ever interacted with at once, but it was my, it being from a very white suburb, this was my first time dealing with any of that, because I had gone to basketball camps in the suburbs, very white still. Then I went away to the sleepaway camp. My counselor was a British guy. Uh, my teammate was mostly Portuguese by by, by breakdown, mm-hmm. and then uh, is a, a lot of a, a lot of talking and getting to know black people too. That it was just not, it was not on the docket in the suburbs mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we got to go and, and in five days as a kid in, going through puberty, five days is a lot of time. You get crushes, best friends. You're learning shit about th- things you never know. I saw a guy break his arms, both of them. Oh my god! A dunk contest. He was a young kid. They, they, in the dunk contest, they said a hundred times, do not hang on the rim. Bigger players can hang on the rim because they can cover their, uh, recover with their body, but these are MDA rims with big springs in them, so they'll bounce you. And a kid went up there, hung on the rim with both hands. Uh, the, it, it got bounced, he got bounced, he got sprung, and he lost his bounce. He put his hands like this to break his fall, hit the ground, all of his weight popped his bones out of his wrists. And then he ran with his exposed bones to the first aid. Mm-mm. Formative. Mm-mm. These are important things to see. I want a kayak race. <laughs> That's so eventful in just a few days. Five days. I want formative. a kayak race. I fell so, in love with a Portuguese so what you, girl. What are, you, what are you meaning by formative? In the sense formative, like it, it, it has had shaped not, you as a person. If Is I that had what you not mean? gone to that 
place yes. and done that thing, yes. I think I would be a different person. A hundred percent. Yes. Um, because Portuguese, like, when the fuck would I have met people from Portugal? Yeah. And I remember I thought it was so interesting. One specific memory is I traded uh, with uh, one of the British kids. He had, I had Axe body spray. Not body spray, Axe body wash. Mm hmm and it was blue and the one with the beads in it, the microfiber beads or mm -hmm. whatever before they found out that they're just plastic beads mm -hmm. and they will ruin everything if mm -hmm. they get into the soil. Um, and a British kid had the same exact thing, but it, and it said Lynx instead mm -hmm. of Axe. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time I ever learned that we had different shit in America than in Europe. Yeah. Because he had Axe and I had, I had Axe and he had Lynx and they were the same exact product just yeah. with a different name. You're so lucky to have gotten that type of exposure though. Not a lot of people do have that, especially in the US when they don't have immigrant parents. Oh my God, no. I, I don't think I met an immigrant or like understood the idea of an immigrant yeah. until... Late in life, late in late into the teens, I'm talking. Yeah. We, I didn't. The only exposure I had to any um, uh, like technical, like a quote unquote minority group was basketball related. Wow. And uh, media. I loved rap music my whole life. Right. So like uh, the thing, and I related a lot to it because my life was fucked up. Yeah. But uh, it was hard. It was hard to have any real connection with non-white people, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. And I keep. And I think the reason I'm thinking about that is because I'm in Brooklyn right now, and it's extremely diverse, yeah. huge Hispanic culture. Right. Um, on top of that, uh, it's the summer. I would have yes. been at camp. <laughs> you know. And wow. I'm thinking about like all. I. It's just. I think being in Brooklyn right now has me thinking about all that shit. Yeah. But it's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything? similar because I, not similar not not similar in a sense with like of like that because you first of all you identify probably as paraguayan yes, yes, paraguayan yes, yes. paraguayan paraguayan, yeah, you got it right. paraguayan. Yeah. uh so i do yeah so uh, i don't even know what that cultural experience is like <laughs> growing up so if you have anything to share please uh well, I, I am transported essentially to paraguay one day and there is this adjustment period that my brain just immediately gets, uh, just understands that, oh shit, I now need to quickly adjust to whatever this is yeah. to survive. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So English is essentially gone as a language. Um, they do teach it in school, but it's like one hour a week or something like that, uh -huh. depending on which school you go to also. So English is gone as the, that as the main language. Spanish becomes the first one really quickly. And then Paraguay is a bilingual country, so we speak both Spanish and Guarani, which is the native language. Oh, shit. I was going to ask what, yeah. what language they speak, yeah. I, but I'd heard you speak Spanish, and I didn't want to be stupid. <laughs> so it sounds... It's, it does not sound anything like Spanish at all. It's its own thing. Mm -hmm. So as an example... Um, you know how how do you say hi in Spanish? Hola. Hola. Yeah, yeah. right. So in Guarani it's baeshapa. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> Can you try that? Uh, so you don't say it again. Yeah. I'm going to try it based off the one time yes. I've ever heard you say it. Yes. 
Maheshaba? Oh, close, close. Baeshaba. 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 Oh, I would not. Yes. Yeah, that's too many letters yeah, 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 for, yeah, yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no. exactly. So it sounds completely different. So when you speak to your family, what is that what you speak? Spanish. Oh, okay. Spanish and um, some, I mean, now it's honestly a mixture of the three. It's mm-hmm. Spanish, Guarani, and English, depending is on Is there a big is. cultural um, uh, a fight? If you're in the capital um, or in, um, yeah, if you're, if you're in the in the in the capital, no one really speaks it. Uh, at least I'm talking about my personal experience Got in the it. younger generations. It's more of uh, our parents' generations. Yep. And the ones so it is a them. thing, kind of. So it's yeah. like a generational thing. Yes. And I bet yes. that if you talked to someone older in Paraguay, they'd be like, oh, they, they don't know speak it, it anymore. Yes. They yes. don't yes. teach it in and the it's schools. Like, it's actually really sad. It's, oh yeah, yeah, I know. They, but this it's is a so thing sad. that's transferable yes. throughout the yes. world. Is yes. what I mean. Yes. I've never. I know. I don't know shit about Paraguay, but I just guessed that because that's kind of a thing that's transferable across time and space. Yeah. It depends on where you are in the country because outside of the capital, everyone speaks it. It doesn't really matter what generation you're in. It's mostly a capital thing. And again, I'm speaking from my experience. Mm -hmm. And what is really sad about it is that growing up um, speaking the native language Guarani and speaking it really fluently and really well makes you have a different type of Spanish. Like you speak it kind of with a different oh, accent. Oh, okay. So when you speak it like that and you have that correlation with um, just being really fluent in Guarani, it's associated with it being like a lower class thing. Oh. So. It's inside baseball racism. I don't know what that is. Like um, when, so like, you know how like Americans are kind of racist to everyone? Uh-huh. Um, so like this is like Paraguayans being racist or classist within each other. That's what inside baseball. Heavy, heavy, heavy. Everyone has it. It happens in every country. Every country has some version of this, whether it's America thinking the flyover states are idiots or thinking the South is dumb or thinking the Northeast are elitist. Exactly. It's It's everyone with their beef. It's that. Everyone with their stupid beef based on... I don't know what that is. It's based on cultural norms. And it's it's based on evolving cultural norms and generations. Yeah. So generational gaps and cultural norms Norms evolving makes everyone uncomfortable because uh, it's not like culturally ever talked about. Like that's yeah. not what the mainstream news is covering. Yeah. Is like these intense conversations about how society is actually changing. Rather, it's just kind of like clickbaity, it's scary just, yeah. stuff. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. So then um, there's just this negative uh, like connotation. Yeah, connotation to just being really fluent in it because that means that you're just not as educated or you're just not upper class. Got it. So then how you speak, like you... it's like an accent. People, yes, it, any it, accent. It's an, exactly, exactly. It's like, it's yeah, an it's, it's, it's like an when people hear me and talk. This is I've me been told talking I, yeah. 10 years into living in the U.S., so I don't know how that has changed in everyday life necessarily, mm. but I, I now find that to be just so, so sad. And I fell into believing that also over the years. Well, that'll which, happen with anything. Yeah, exactly, especially in formative years. So mm-hmm. um, that's... It's yeah. To me, it's sad. I fully understand it, but I I don't speak it as fluently. Though I can mm. have like a secret conversation, yeah, with someone uh, when we don't want to speak either English. Don't or don't talk about the secret conversation. <laughs> the whites are listening. <laughs> don't be confirming shit. Um, uh, what's it called? Uh, so and so yeah. I in terms of like a, a story, I'm just trying. Yeah, to... Yeah, no. I, what I'm thinking for a story is something that is uh, unique to growing up in Paraguay. Yeah, I got you. I got you. So, 
Um, well, my family in general is the most important thing that I have in my life. My mom is the the person that I would just give my life for always. Mm-hmm. And just even speaking about parents in general will always get me worked up. I see your eyes. Yes. I see your eyes glazing <laughs> over and yeah. all you did was... I just can't. You said mom yeah, once. Yeah, 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 exactly. You said mom exactly. Once. So my mother, she's an angel. Mm-hmm. And from her entire life, she has just dedicated to her community and improving the life of the lives of others mm. helping those she's also a journalist understood so she was a an investigative reporter here in the US and wow. she was helping uh, victims of domestic violence and working really closely with the police to try to help those children out and um, Love like that. yeah exactly like helping uncover some illegal activities that mm. involved minors and things like this so um, she has always been like a like a defender yeah. for people who just don't have a voice. And when we moved back to Paraguay, it was actually because of health issues that she started developing over time because okay. her job was just so high stress. So um, she was a reporter at Telemundo for about 16 years. Oh, wow. And then she started... You want to give a name so that someone oh, can yeah. look her up? <laughs> yes, yes. Gloria Pisuti. Got it. Um, well, do you want to spell that for the whites? Yes, yes. <laughs> Gloria. Um, Gloria. Gloria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if, yeah, and Pizzuti is a P-I-Z-Z-U-T-I. Pizzuti. Pizzuti. To all my whites. Pizzuti. Gloria, Gloria Pizzuti. Pizzuti. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if she was Pizzuti. Italian, that's, yes, that's what we yes, call her. Yes, yes. <laughs> Pizzuti. So, um, she starts developing panic disorder. Okay. And she would hear ambulances, and then she would just freeze and it was just a whole thing so then that's where that decision to just completely switch it up and move back to Paraguay came from. so then I end up in Paraguay and my mom just really quickly is uh, she starts connecting or reconnecting with uh, our neighbors and people that she grew up with in, in the community and just really immediately uh, people start coming to her like just okay. random people would just show up at my house like this lady who's having issues with her husband who's like beating her up she needs help to like help report this somewhere and then my mom just s- starts becoming like this person that came back just in go to yeah exactly okay. so then random people show up at my house and uh, everyone has like this issue that they need some type of help with and I growing up I just didn't understand that I was like why? Yeah, like, yeah, why? Yeah. Like, I. Why are they what, here? What, what are we doing? Like, what is this for? And I just didn't grasp how powerful that was or just how incredible that was. And I remember um, we would be driving somewhere and my, my mom would stop whenever she saw somebody burning their trash because they just didn't want to dispose of it correctly. So she would stop and curse them out and I would just like hide in the car like please god like why is she doing this but now if she does this i'm backing her up you know yeah so so keep that in mind with what i'm about to say okay so this is just who my mom is as a person a defender and just a natural person for uh, helping others um and then my dad he comes from a super large family he has seven seven siblings and i have like 40 cousins Mm -hmm. so um he's always wanted a lot of children but my parents couldn't conceive it took them like seven years to have me so then i um my my dad would just show up with 
dogs, like animals that he would find. And then at one point, we had like six dogs in our house. He would go hunting, but he didn't like. He would. Ju he just liked spending time with um, with the their his family. Yeah. But he didn't necessarily enjoy hunting. Yeah, you so gotta do what you gotta do. He would bring back wild animals to the house. Like he would. He brought back a deer. <laughs> he brought back ducks. When you say brought back, what do you mean? To our house. A lot. To our backyard. Alive or dead? No, like as a pet. Oh yeah, that's what I mean. You said he went hunting and he and then no, you no, 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 prefaced no. with no, 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 no. he brought yes. back. No, 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 no. He enjoyed spending time with his family while doing like while they while hunted, they would hunt. But he didn't enjoy hunting. So, so he, he would just trap them. Trap <laughs> the animals and brought them back home. So then um, we they would literally. At at one point, and I didn't live in the in a in like a farm necessarily. It, it wasn't a yeah, what super was, rural area. What was the type of place you lived like in it comparison? Was a, it was a neighborhood. It yeah. was like we had like fully built houses. Yeah, that's you know? not like, what it's I'm. It's not a full on yeah. farm. It's just like a regular neighborhood. Got it. But we had a pretty large backyard. So then, at one point, we have six dogs. We have a deer. We have ducks. We have a parrot. We have, uh, he tried to bring a, a, like a, a, like a mini crocodile one time and then that just didn't work out, but, um, an owl and to put the cherry on top, a monkey. You had access to a monkey? I had a monkey growing up. How many years? How many months? So, uh, so his name is, uh, his name was R.I.P. Um, <laughs> Vital. Which in Guarani means ugly. Oh! <laughs> but it's like a cute ugly, you know? Yeah, yeah, like a bulldog. Yes, yes, exactly. It's a cute ugly. So his name was Vido. And <laughs> we, we just have this full-on ecosystem going on in our backyard and it's totally fine i mean it's not a normal thing well it means, doesn't sound do it doesn't sound normal or fine yeah yeah people <laughs> people don't really Wait, do this so, in paraguay so, at, so like for an extended period of time there was like a monkey yes I, so let's start with the monkey six dogs what the fuck did the monkey ride the dogs yes yes <laughs> fuck you yes, that's amazing yes, yes okay all right so so you got a monkey six dogs yes uh a deer a, a parrot deer parrot owl Deer, parrot, owl, duck. Duck. Yeah. That's a fleet. <laughs> yeah. And also something you would never hear, like you would never hear about. Yes, that. yes. So you then, should write a children's book. So, yeah, right? Ch yeah. Chumi Zoo? Chumi Zoo. I love, <laughs> I love it. I love it. So then here's the thing about the monkey. Vital. So it started off. Well, I imagine there's many things about yeah, the monkey. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah, fucking yeah. monkey. Yeah, it's like he's really tiny. And can at we the get time. a year? Can we get a year where the monkey this, would have been there? So like, just so the people 2100 can relate to what year this might have been. 2001. So like 2001. Yeah. Okay. 2001. No, I just it's good to put a year on yes, stuff. Yes, 2001. So then the monkey uh, is really tiny at the time. Was like a baby. And uh, like my mom, like at one point my mom was like, oh no, like we need to stop having animals. And then at one point she just gave up because my dad just like, he loves animals. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that we need to stop having animals conversation stops at like dog yeah. number two. <laughs> exactly. Not like exactly. All right, exactly. we've got a monkey, a giraffe. <laughs> Time to put an end to it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then started off really tiny and cute and, um, then people in the neighborhood started uh, hearing about the fact that we had a monkey. So then 
since my mother is like the the, the talk of the town the, okay full circle like, yeah, full yeah. circle since my mother is like this this person that people just go to for help and guidance um they like the mothers start bringing their kids because um they have they there's like a outbreaks of lice at school so then mothers start bringing their kids to my house and ask my mother if the monkey can just like take lice from their he from their head and the monkey very happily was doing that oh my god so then, <laughs> so then at one point you didn't have flashlights and tweezers <laughs> you didn't have shampoo <laughs> Don't they do vinegar or something? Isn't there home remedies? They're like, all right, the lice problem's getting out of hand. We heard Gloria's got a monkey. Maybe the monkey will be able to get the lice out of the children's and it did hair. did very effectively. So then that just became a thing. You know how fucking... I, know, I apologize. You know how... Like, that is... I understand how you'd get there. <laughs> But I think it's such a long road. That's, yeah, that's why I had to tell both the story of my mother and father to bring all this together. But um, so at one point we had this little chair where the monkey was because you need to have like a little a monkey chair. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, no, 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 like a little monkey like to have him not run away. What do you call that? A leash. A leash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, exactly. yes. So then the monkey was on a leash. And then we'd have a little chair with the kids who brought mom, like the moms brought the kids, the kids would sit down and then the yeah. monkey would just do its thing. And then my, like our moms would just like be catching up and I'm just there sitting like, <laughs> what? what? How did this going? become oh, yeah, our life? Yeah. <laughs> what is happening? Did what the monkey uh, help you uh, socially? Well, like, I, like I know if you had like a pool in the United States or a trampoline, you're like, oh, that they got a pool trampoline. I want to yeah. go over Scott's house. I yeah. want to go over Yada Yada's house. Actually, not really. Like, no, these were like much younger kids than I was. No one my age no or in my circle had you. monkeys. Well, I mean, they didn't want to hang out with you for the monkey. Not, it was never not, like. Well, it's. You it's, didn't have pride in the monkey. You brought no, the shame. The monk, I think you had I was a classic too, case of monkey yeah, shame. Yeah, I was too young and I also just didn't have like a phone to post it on my story so yeah. people could know about it necessarily. And it's yeah. not something that I talked about wildly. child stuff yeah so then um then it turns out that monkeys actually are extremely social creatures yeah. and they go insane if they're in isolation okay so it's it was a slow progression to it but it started becoming more and more aggressive and uh at that point we had to put it in like a little house okay so it wouldn't go insane on the dog and uh, on the dog but then that's like just this. further isolation it, making yes, Vido more crazy yes yes it went more and more crazy and then one time it escaped and then it was loose like on the trees <laughs> and it would grab avocado and this was you're still young I'm 11. Oh, now you're 11 at this point. I yeah, I think I'm or somewhere around. You're like 11. 10, 10, 10, no, sorry, nine or 10 or something. Either way, like you're that. you're between nine and 11, yes. and now the monkey's on the loose. Yes. Avocados are 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 abundant in Paraguay. It's so abundant. We're learning. Yeah. Yeah. Mango. This is how specific. Yes. yes. So then the monkey would grab avocados and mango from the trees and just throw it at the dogs or at us. That's amazing. <laughs> That is not bad. <laughs> Let that monkey do that. I thought it was biting people. 
know. I'm sure it might just throwing have. it like crazy. But that's, um, there's something beautiful about animals throwing. Throwing is human behavior. <laughs> it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't its shit. No, it's cute. Yeah. I fuck with and that. And then, um, yeah, there was t- a construction site next, t- next door to us. And mm-hmm. then the main guy was like, hey, like your monkey came into our construction site and like busted our like gear and like our equipment <laughs> and all this stuff. So it, yeah, and this is like this the sad part of it where okay. one day he just like showed up dead, which let someone murdered us, the monkey. Yeah, we think that someone poisoned him. You grew up with yeah. a monkey murder situation. <laughs> I grew up with a monkey murder situation. That is uh, <laughs> that is uh, uh, I couldn't have asked for a better story. <laughs> Um, and I'm sorry for the death, R.I.P. Vido, you ugly little monkey. Um, and from here, we'll go to uh, Steve Schmeler and his story. For any of you um, unfamiliar with Steve Schmeler, go back to our first season and listen to the episode of Foam Finger, and you will learn all about Steve Schmeler, who is the inventor of the Foam Finger, born and raised in Otumwa, Iowa. So, here's Chumi's song request and then a bit of Steve Schmeler. Mami, ¿qué tú quieres? Aquí llegó tu tiburón. Yo quiero perrear y fumarme un blon. Ver lo que esconde ese pantalón. Yo quiero perrear y perrear y perrear. Yo, 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 yo quiero perrear y fumarme un blon. Yo quiero perrear y perrear y perrear. Yo, 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 yo quiero perrear y fumarme un blon, un blon. Do you have a uh, story from your childhood? It's kind of an awkward story. Uh, Give it to us. We like awkward as long as you're fine with people hearing it. The uh, one of one of the things that their family used to do on a Saturday, I think we related this before, is that Saturday night was go to town night, and for the farmers anyway, and uh, town was stayed open. The stores on the square stayed open past um, no, longer than five o'clock or six o'clock. Is that when things close in Iowa? Most of most of the stores on on the square, yes. When I say the square, that'd be like the city center or whatever. You know, it, you'd have that. That's that's where most of your businesses were around the square. It seems, and there was a hardware store, and we'd gone in, and um, I I pocketed a, a, a small little jackknife. I, Bad, not, bad. You're not so wholesome as a kid, Steve. Not that I. I, I <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Early, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Early, early enough that I maybe didn't even know that mom and dad you know, paid cash for things. Yeah. Which I, I didn't. How I old do you think you were? Probably five or so. Okay. Four or five. Anyway, uh, when when we got home and I had this knife to whittle on some wood or something found out about it and we made a next opportunity made a trip into town and i apologized to the store owner and you know, it was all good after that but it was a lesson learned i guess does that like weigh on your conscience 
You you feel shame of that? You feel a little bit. What? Little. Steve, Steve, Steve. This is why I call you wholesome. Your story from youth is that you feel shame for something you stole before you knew stealing was a concept. Well, I don't know that I felt shame then. I mean, they, they explained at the time when I was young that that was wrong to do. And, and um, you know, I, I probably am more embarrassed about it now than, than back then even. But. How, Steve? Let it go. You, <laughs> you let it go, my guy. <laughs> I, I could share a similar story from youth um, because that's that's what the, the premise for this episode is all about. It's stories from youth. Uh, but my youth is recent, so no one cares. But it, I will relate my story to your story. Um, and it's going to make me sound really bad, Steve. And I feel bad that I'm telling you this because it's like telling my grandfather about a horrible thing I used to do and realize that I have changed and I do not do things like this anymore, Okay. Sure. Because I don't want you to be repulsed by me. Because things are different where I'm from and in the age that I'm from. Because you, so when was that? When do you think that was? What year? 57. So in 1957, you, as a child, stole a pocket knife before you even knew what stealing was. And you, you feel sad about it. You feel so, a sense of shame about it now. I, when I was 15 or 16 years old, uh, we used to go to the mall on Black Friday. Um, actually, allegedly, um, yeah, I don't want to get myself arrested. Um, I'm kidding when I say this. This is all a joke uh, for the record. Um, on Black Friday, you're familiar with Black Friday? Sure. Um we used to go to the shopping mall where it was a big fuss. It would be such a fuss on Black Friday. Like, more people than are in your town were at the mall. Sure. And everyone would be running around like chickens with their heads cut off. And we were children. And we used to try to see who could steal the most impressive thing. <laughs> yeah, I know, Steve. You're not going to like this. Um... And I was always a big, like, one-upsman. I'm very competitive. Um, some people would put things in their pockets that they could fit in their pockets. And you would only take one thing, and then you'd all compare. And we were all very poor and scrappy, so we were just doing whatever we could to fill the time. And I've realized that I shouldn't have been doing it. And here is a bit whatever. from I don't, Mel's But I don't even feel tonight. close to the shame you feel. Um, you've, I tell that you feel a genuine shame. But the point of the story is... I stole a panini press, a whole panini press. I, I put it up my, my shirt and down my pants and I covered it with my jacket and I walked out and no one caught me and I was a 15 year old with a panini press. And that's what I would do with my time. But in your day, everything closed at five. There was no big mall. There was no Black Friday. It was it, that all of the things in my story didn't even exist, but we still have the one thing in common. The thievery. <laughs> yes. Yours may have been more innocent and and absent-minded, and mine might have been out of angst and general stupidity. But there's still a common thread there. Do you have any other stories from youth? I almost died when I was four years old. I, I've almost died a lot of times. I've had a lot of close calls, but 
I had uh, tonsils, and they were going to do a tonsillectomy, and not not like it is today, where you check into a hospital. Uh, our family doctor, we did it. They did it in his office, and the anesthetic that was used. They put towel. Uh, they soaked towel in ether. Ether. Yes. Jesus. Okay, and go on. Put that over my nose and mouth, and had me start to count backwards. And I, from what I was told, I stopped breathing and and uh, started to turn blue. And somehow they revived me. But it turns out that I'm allergic to ether. Well, ether's not a very safe thing. <laughs> to my to my knowledge, I don't know a ton about ether because I grew up when I grew up. But oh my god, yeah, that's kind of aggressive. And that was when you were four. You kind of had an ether overdose. Yes. And now the closest thing that when I smell it, but I don't get close to it or over overindulge. Uh, but starting fluid for a car. It smells uh, like ether? Oh, it, yeah, it is ether. Yeah. Because it's really volatile. Yeah. yeah. I, I've, I've heard. I didn't. I did not expect that. Did I ever tell you that I used to ride a freight train back and forth to school to community college? When was this? In 71, 72. Like a gypsy, you'd ride the freight train? Like you'd jump on the train, there's like a freight train. Yes, yeah, but uh, Atumwa, Iowa was a point where they changed crews. And then the community where I went to community college was in Creston, Iowa. And um, they changed crews there. It's just a certain mileage away, they changed crews. So what we used to do and there were another fellow at the, at the house where I lived while going to school. It was a residential basement of a residential home, not not at a dormitory school. And uh, so for, there were actually a couple of other fellows before I did it that had already established uh, hopping the freight to go to school at Creston. And... and uh, there were usually five engines pulling the freight back that day. Now they divide them up differently. They usually have a couple in the front, maybe one in the middle and one to the back. But at one time they had them all up front. And we'd wait for the firemen and the brakemen to climb on the back engine. And they would check the gauges as they worked their way to the head engine. And after they would move forward, then we would just climb onto the rear engine and stay out of sight and this was a trustworthy way to commute oh yeah, absolutely yeah like you knew when it was coming and stuff yeah we even had the phone numbers to the freight yard or to the crew the crew numbers and we'd call and find out when number 63 was coming into town and would you lie and say that you were someone who needed the freight train or were you like we're just some people that jump on the train <laughs> um we didn't have to announce who we were. We just oh, they're just giving the out answers willy nilly. If you called me and you were like, "When's the freight trade coming by?" I'm yeah. like, Sh "Shut up, sir! That's none of your business." 
So everything. <laughs> so went I guess well that's Philadelphia me. and Iowa. Everything went well for most of the year. The very last trip home, though, um, I had my my duffel bag and things that I was taking back home. Uh, the there was some something occurred that the freight wasn't stopping in town where we normally would get on, and it went a mile or so out of town. The, the length of the the length of the train, they, they they couldn't block. They maybe they were prevented from blocking a, an intersection or something, but they went out of town. And when that happens, they actually get in a local cab and and go out to the engine where it is in the front and and I was old enough that I uh, can't believe it I, I rode the cab got in the cab with these engineers <laughs> and uh, they, one guy was pretty adamant that I couldn't do that and I did and so I climbed I climbed on the engine I said this is my last trip home I just need to get going and and uh, we went along about 25, 30 miles, and I heard the train start to slow down. So my intuition tells me that they probably got a hold of some railroad police and were going to have me, you know, captured. And the railroad police is that a real thing? Does that exist? Yeah, they called them railroad dicks. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. And did you get in trouble? Well, they didn't catch me. You ran from the police? No, I hid from the police. <laughs> <laughs> the, inside the engine compartment, there was a floor panel that I didn't have many options. Uh, I, I pulled up the floor panel and you actually could see through to the through a gallery of pipes and different things, but you could see the the railroad ties and the rail down below. So it was a little bit on the unsafe side, but I pulled, I, I climbed down in there on my back and laid on some of the pipes and <laughs> pulled, pulled the floor panel back over. And, and I, sure enough, as the train stopped, I heard doors open and shut as it came you know, from the head engine to the back engine where I was. And they walked over the top of me, but ah! Ah, the railroad dicks. They they didn't look under the panel. Because who's going to pull up the floorboards, Steve? You're a genius. <laughs> That's some very, like, like a cartoon movie level mischief. Uh, it was fun. That is exactly the type of story I was looking for, Steve. Oh, finally you found one. No, that is amazing. Drug boy stand is showtime. The streets don't give a damn. They're filled with such pollution. The kids don't stand a chance. We're trapped inside the matrix. Forced to play our hand. We're filled with so much hatred. The kids don't stand a chance. I said the kids don't. The kids don't stand, the kids don't stand a chance. I said the kids don't, the kids don't stand, the kids don't stand a chance. Well, since I was planted at birth, I 
small uh, rural Iowa town as the child inventor of the foam finger. Um, so which, which puts it into perspective. Uh, we just heard Steve talk about his youth story. And uh, his idea of youth is essentially our recent past. Uh, so here's a question for you, Chumi. I know you're a couple years older than me. Are you still young? <laughs> you know when people say, oh, this person has an old soul. They have like an ancient soul. They're like hundreds of years old. I am literally my age. Like I am, I, yes, I am young. <laughs> And I think I will always be. I was going to say, I think you're the opposite of an old soul. Yeah, exactly. I think you are a young soul and I am a great example of an old soul. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. I, I, no, no. I, uh, I, I, I came up here to be alone for 14 days. <laughs> mm. <laughs> the things I like to do are very boring. Huh. Uh, I live a very fast and exciting life, but I think I'm becoming a more and more boring person. Huh. I've got a lot of opinions. There's a lot of stuff... Uh, I've got a lot of opinions. There's just certain stuff I just won't do. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I've gotten the old soul thing a lot because uh, I, I feel like I'm an old 25. Interest? No, I think I think I mean, I can't. It's difficult for me to put an age. Um, well, I know, I know how it is because it is uncomfortable to talk about age in general and and youth. No, it's it's yeah, it's not. Well, that maybe I not just, not for like, you. I'm not a seven year old, you know. <laughs> that's what I mean. I'm not a fifteen year old. Well, by either. perspective, you're you're still you're still young by how old you will be. Yeah. In in comparison, and I think I'm about the same. I I feel very young. Uh, the the, the types of stuff I do now, I don't imagine I'll be doing in ten years or. 20 years that's the thing i just i i don't know i feel weird about the thought of like oh no like you're too old to do this i don't know not I, yes I yeah well that's that's that. kind of what we were talking about earlier yeah. the idiotic restrictions on um on just like what someone can and can't do I depending hate that. on your perception I, I hate it i hate that well well i think it depends how conscious you are so I like the idea of talking about youth because the whole concept of the podcast is about time. Mm -hmm. So youth, the idea of young and old is very time-based, but it's not specific time-based because it's more flexible and subjective than like 1995, 2100, blah, 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 mm -hmm. because um, it has more to do with feeling. Yes. Because uh, a lot of people my age, uh, well, I think we could all say this, uh, and you always hear people say this no matter what age, is that uh, like everyone's doing the marriage thing, the having the kids thing, mm -hmm. and it's starting to make me feel like, oh shit, I'm acting like a, a, a kid, essentially. I'm still living a very youthful life while all these people are deciding to slow down. And I think I, I'm insecure about that in some way. Mm -hmm. uh, because I feel like I'm living, quote unquote, too youthfully. Uh, just being able to, I guess, run from one place to the other. I feel like it's almost naughty, quote unquote, or what I shouldn't be doing mm -hmm. based on, I guess, society's ideas of what like a 25-year-old should be doing. Yeah, I, I get that. I, I have that in in two ways because of the two cultures so there's a 
there's like a contradiction between the life that I'm living right now that is totally acceptable and totally fine in New York for a woman to be pursuing her career yeah. and for everyone to just be single throughout their 30s and yeah. um, no commitment. You're focused on what it is that what like your craft is or what you're mm-hmm. what you're trying to accomplish in the city. In the words of Drake, what am I doing? What am I doing? Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm doing me. There you go. <laughs> I'm exactly. living right for exactly. right now. <laughs> exactly. So it's it's fine, right? For for uh, for me to be doing this in New York. However, back home in Paraguay, most of my most of the people that I went to high school with married with kids. Most. Yep. Like I would say a good at this point seventy percent. I have one classmate who is uh, one or two years uh, younger than me. And she just had her fourth child. So yep. early bloomers, my classmates have been having children ever since they were 16 years old. Mm-hmm. Trust me, I know how I feel. I wanted to brag about moving into a nice new apartment that I'm renting. But on Instagram, it's everyone bragging about buying houses house, in the suburbs. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll shut oh the fuck God, up about my yeah. nice new apartment. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm terrified of me just losing that sense of wonder losing that that like little fire that you have inside. but do you think you ever have to i don't think i, I don't, think you can I, grow I, that's a fear that i have though it's losing that and i fear but that age comes here's, along here's with my that. here's my pushback on yeah. you though but w- if you if you lose that fear wouldn't it be natural what do you mean so you don't want to lose that fear you don't want to lose that fire or that thing that, that keeps you going, keeps yes, you young. Yes, yes, yes. But wouldn't losing that, if you did, quote unquote, just be a natural progression of who you are? So I am a big mm. believer in following whatever. I, 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 so I'm a weirdo. I'm very like, I think about myself and how I feel a lot. That's not weird. I know, but it is if you're a man. <laughs> um, sure. Um, so I think about myself and how I feel a lot. And if something just doesn't make me feel good, I cut it out. Yeah. And a lot of that has been like some thrill chasing, some some like crazy shit that no longer fits who I am mm-hmm. and, and, and stuff that doesn't fit like who I've become, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. There's some shit I just don't want to do. I don't want to go yeah, to the club. I, I do find value in you feeling uncomfortable, though. Oh, yes. Like, if you're not feeling but if you good still about feel... something, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad thing. Oh, I know. But I mean, like, through learning what I've learned about myself. Yeah. There's, there's, there is to- the time that is the quote unquote growing up has yeah. informed my decision making to kind of make me slow down a little bit. Yeah. But what I'm saying is if you see a general purpose in always wanting to be uncomfortable, because I feel the same way as I seek I, being uncomfortable. I, I do too, yeah. Um, if you always have that, um, then you will always be curious or have that fire yes. or stay young, I'm saying. Yes. So I, I don't think you have to worry about that. I don't think, like, I think someone like you could have kids, have a family, and still have that fire, kind of like what you just described your mom yeah. as. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, she does. She has that to this day. And uh, I think that's a good place to end. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty wholesome, uh, round robin <laughs> shit. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to say to the people of 2100 or you would like to uh, talk about? Wow. I haven't even thought about... I haven't thought about that at all. What I really want to see 
Um, I mean, I if if technology doesn't uh, get to the point where it uh, prevents us from dying, uh, then I will likely not be able to see this. But I would just love to see human beings reaching their true potential, just the maximum capacity of what a healthy civilization is like, fully realized as a collective. Um, I think that progress is really slow in, in uh, just our, our, our experience of being alive. I do think that we are the most intelligent that we ever have been. It doesn't feel that way. <laughs> um, it doesn't feel that way. It feels like we're moving a ton of steps back. But if you're comparing this over centuries, then yes, we have made a ton of progress. But yeah. we're nowhere near we have to be, in my opinion, in terms of just literally developing ourselves to the point in which we're able to see life beyond Earth, in which we're able to see human beings uh, truly, genuinely care for each other and want the best for each other and grow as a society. Um, 2100, I, I'm, a, I'm an optimist at heart, so I'm like, okay, there's a ton of shit that is going to be happening at that time that I wish I was around to see. Um, but I just don't think it's going to be where we need to be yet. So then, I mean, I guess that is another question. Do we ever get there, or are we just in this continuous thing of improvement forever, and we just never get to a point? Like, what is a fully realized society, you know? Um, I mean, I, 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 un I understand all of what you're saying. Uh, you, you are arriving, the things you're talking about are the conclusions I arrive at often when I think about this topic. Mm -hmm. um, the conversation of when will empathy get to the point mm -hmm. where humans need it to be to develop a society worth sustaining yes th that is sustainable yes uh imagine the healthiest version of the collective i and i'm not gonna say my thoughts on that because i want to keep it on a positive note <laughs> and i don't want to and i don't want to and i don't want to talk about that but no yes not I, on the record no i know i know no 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 yeah. no i think i think i think that I, the I thing think, you're striving for where you are an optimist i am a pessimist yes. i want the same things as you but you see it differently. But I don't know if it'll happen. I don't know if it will happen either, but I think well, yes, that it is yes. a possibility. Yes, yes, yes. And that, that is what I would like to see material materialized sooner rather than later, obviously. Yes, so yes, yes. So the message, I guess, is striving for that, just the healthiest version of who we are as a collective. Special thanks to Chumi Gonzalez, Steve Schmeler, and Ramel Coco. Be sure to check out Ramel's music. Um, the song I used in this episode is called Tonight. It is on Vivo as well as streaming services and YouTube, etc. Congrats on him for knocking Drake off the charts. Um, check out Steve Smealer, and uh, if you see a foam finger, don't purchase it because he doesn't get any of that money. Also, special thanks to someone who ended up essentially being a co-host for this episode, Chumi Gonzalez. Thank you very much for listening, and happy 2100. Yeah. Remember when my
first meal was school lunch. Now I spit a 16 straight with no punch. Remember all the dinner, all we ate was Captain Crunch. Now we blow big blunts on our way to brunch. Went from good fella to commissary slips. Now I got back up, man, every time I slept. Never ever quit, I just kept on pursuing. Teacher always asked me, what was I doing? Scribbled in my notebook and never did homework. Low attention fans, guess these Adderall work. Rock Tommy Hill shirts, ones with the boat. Rock poor kicks way before we even smoke. Used to have baby lungs choking when I hit it. Nowadays, make the whole seven in a sitting. Remember back then, man, we thought we growed up. Rushing at a kid just to be grown up. Yeah. Rushing at a kid just to be grown up. Yeah. Whoever thought I'd be the greatest growing up. Yeah. Whoever, whoever thought I'd be the greatest growing up.